Hey guys, this is Joe. Did you just order a five dollar shake? That's a shake. That's milk and ice cream. You don't put bourbon in it or nothing? What's up, everybody? It's Eric. Oh man, I shot Marvin in the face. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Miramax Films asks the question: What are two hitmen, one girlfriend, a boxer, and the secret suitcase have in common? That's a good question. The answer: They're all part of the most electrifying film of the year. John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, Uma Thurman, Harvey Keitel, and Bruce Willis. Die, you! You won't know the facts until you see the fiction. Pulp Fiction, rated R, starts October 14th everywhere. Get it. You're listening to Worth the Late Fee, the podcast where two former video rental clerks watch movies they may have recommended at one time to see if they still think that the film would be worth keeping an extra day or due to watch again, even if it meant paying a late fee. What's new, Joe? How you feeling? I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. So I Joe's, have uh, I have strep throat, y'all. <laughs> and Joe's got some Oregon Trail disease, and he's. Yeah. I thought it was like I. It's the same thing <clears> as COVID. So when I. I had a fever. That's I had scary. A fever. It was like I've had a fever since Saturday, and then I got even worse Sunday. So that's why I went to the walk-in. But with strep throat, a lot of symptoms are the same with body aches, sore throat, headache, fever, yep. all those. So I was like, oh my god! So I was like, it was a long weekend, so I figured I'll get the results, you know, before work, hopefully. Yeah. And it wasn't COVID, thankfully, but it was strep throat, which I still need to be out for anyway. So I made a difference. So that's we were awesome. trying so tomorrow. Did you get- did you get tested for strep? Yeah, I guess tested for strep and COVID. See, that's like best case scenario because I feel like if I was you and they just tested me for COVID and they were like, no, you're negative, there'd be a part of me that was like, I don't know, I feel pretty crappy. And, you know, I'd be worrying that the test was wrong. But the yeah. fact that they did two and they were like, you don't have COVID and you do have this. Not that it's good to have strep, but no, you should but know. It's, right. It's the better of the two uh, for sure. And the nurse was pretty good there. She was, after she took both tests, she, you know, checked my, down my throat to see what it looked like. And my ears were inflamed because I heard I had a really bad ear infection because of the strep throat. Yep. So she was pretty sure that it was strep anyways, but she just wanted to be sure she took both tests for that reason, obviously. But she kind of knew it was strep throat before. Is this the, the one right on, right on, right on Main Street by like Giovanni's Pizza? And This was actually in Wells. So I had to go to, oh. I, had to like, I, went, I was in uh, mm-hmm. Wells when I went to the walk. And so I was pretty miserable up there for the whole week. <laughs> so those places in general, like different, different um, communities have different, you know, there's a few different companies that do it, at, at least around us. But those sort of like, med express sort of clinics are amazing i i i went to one first because my friend adam i don't remember what he had going but he had to go somewhere like asap and so we brought him there and i was so impressed with how they handled him just the process everything that i've gone there like if you have anything that you need to get looked at and you don't you're like i don't want to set up an appointment with my pcp or whatever those places are lifesavers and the one in Haverhill that i go to is they're awesome and they're just i don't know they're good people man and obviously that job's tough yeah i've been that i've been the next time like you said i do like that too like as like you said as a if you're like really fun crappy last minute it's just nice to just get over with and it's not a huge long visit like it would be at a hospital because i where i went to was actually it's a walk-in slash emergency room so i was there for three hours yeah and it sucked because i was outside for an hour and a half of that with the fever yeah so like i was i thought i was gonna die that day just because of everything else but thankfully you know i I wasn't there all day long and i got the results like not that i was looking forward to but better that i was hoping right for between the two of them yeah well Um, but i was gonna say no, go ahead. Go ahead. Let's say I will put a uh, spin on this as to what I've been watching, though. And I did nice. see on Thursday right before, you know, I started getting I started feeling crappy on Saturday. But on Thursday, I did see the new Bond film. And that, that was awesome, I thought. Really? All right. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. It was awesome. If you if you've seen the other Bond films with Craig leading up to this point, it's worth watching this one just for the finale, because it, it really does go with a huge bang. It's I loved it. See, I watched Bond movies like as if i just i'm going to watch one movie so I, there's probably stuff that i missed that's someone like yourself who's followed them more more closely would pick up on but i still find them like super entertaining i i, I just love that old school spy stuff 
Yeah, and you, and, you, and you, there's like obviously like embedded like details and like stuff that gets a little complicated, but just the basic of it all, you like you would you would get just by watching them all as like background stuff if you want to, and then just watch right. this one just like just for Craig's finish or anything else. Right, right. But yeah, I loved it. So, I, unlike Joe, I had a great weekend. I went to uh, a brew fest up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. It was nice. awesome. I went with my wife and her brother, who's the man. Um, so we had a great time. Also, Sox playoffs. The Red Sox are just shocking the world. I know. So we let, we said last episode, hoping they're still in it. Well, by the time I put that out, they will be in it still. So that's good. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. Um, and hockey season just started up last night, and there's some good games on tonight, and the Bruins start this coming Saturday. So that's good. And then as far as stuff that I've been watching that's kind of uh, not live sports, but it's a good bridge for my wife. So Brie doesn't really like most sports. Um, she can take it in like small doses, but uh, one thing she likes for whatever the, whatever the reason is like behind the scenes sports stuff. So there's on Amazon Prime right now, there's something called All or Nothing. And it's about, um, it's a behind the scenes show about the last season, Toronto Maple Leafs last season. So again, she doesn't like really live sports, but she loves these behind the scenes especially hockey ones. She loved 24 seven on HBO. She's liking this so far. And I think part of it is you get to see how they're at least in hockey. They're generally pretty, they're good dudes. They're, there's exceptions, but they're, they're good dudes. And uh, then there's probably part of it too. That's a bunch of like handsome, well-dressed young hockey players, but it's just, a, it's been a, a fun watch. And then um, one more thing for the first time in pretty much two years, on Saturday, I'm going out to my family's house in Canada. So I'm pretty excited. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, man. I got uh, fingers crossed. I got my COVID test tomorrow morning. There's absolutely no reason it should be positive. I'm, va- I'm vaccinated and I've been pretty smart, but I'm just paranoid just because I'm, I'm like, watch, I'll get this far. And then yeah. they'll be like, you know what I mean? But um, yeah. So that'd be exciting though. <clears throat> oh, yeah. I can't wait. I'm going with Bree. No, Bree's actually staying home. I'm going with my father. He'll, he's going up. Uh, the day before me so he'll be there and uh yeah so just the two of nice. us so that'd be fun yeah yeah so you guys heard the quote um you heard our quotes i mean you heard the trailer so you you probably know today we're going to be discussing uh i can't believe it took us this long to get to a quentin tarantino movie but we're going to be discussing uh pulp fiction and i have to talk about what i'm drinking so that's kind of why i pick it Two, which I'll get into in a second, but I'm drinking a beer called Pulp Fiction uh, from Burley Oak Brewing in Maryland. I've said quite a few times on the podcast that I'm not, I'm not generally a huge fan of sour beers. I like them sometimes. They're just not my favorite. This sour, Pulp Fiction, definitely my favorite sour and one of the better, more surprising beers I've had in a while. It's unreal. It's It's creamy. It tastes like like melted like grape and berry ice cream or something it's it's ridiculous it's so good i love sours so if that's available if that's available when i go back there again i may have to pick that up go go to go to unofficial sponsor the pod rma because (laughs) they have um they only have this isn't i i texted my friend in maryland and she her family owns a a like a can be like a, a liquor store. I don't know if they call them packies on there or whatever they call them. And she says that this brewery is hard to get down by her. So, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So good, definitely if you can go to RMA, go do it. But, and so that's long, that's why I picked it ironically is I was in RMA looking for a uh, beer the other day and I saw Pulp Fiction and I was like, we haven't done a Tarantino movie yet. And this is just, it's a message from from above that I, we have to do this and when am i going to find it we're going to event i knew i was like we'll eventually do pulp fiction and what when am i going to find a better fit for pulp fiction than pulp fiction and so I, that's why i bought the beer i was i was kind of like oh, it'll be okay it is delicious so definitely if you have access to it uh i highly recommend it so joe what's your memory of, of pulp fiction the movie not the beer see i don't i don't know when i first saw this movie i know I did see it as a film fan growing up and I knew Quentin Tarantino was, but I did a lot more analyzing it while I was in college for screenplay, obviously, but I always liked it, but I think I appreciate it more, obviously, 
after my college years, but something that it's, I mean, it's, it's regarded as one of his best films. So for good reason, I guess it's the one, the ones I analyze, I analyze with my class. Yeah. 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 I know I'm kind of on the same page as you. It came out in 94, but I don't think I saw it until I was in high school. So probably around 2000, maybe 99. And I remember liking it, but this is the first time I saw it in high school. I remember liking it, but not thinking it was as good as people had told me. But that was more because I think I, I don't like people shoving movies or TV shows or music or anything in my face and being like, have you seen this? Have you heard this? It's the, it's the best, whatever. So I kind of dug my heels in. And then I watched it a few years later. So I was a little bit older. I had seen more movies. This is during the movie scene years when Joe and I worked at the rental store. And I would probably watch like seven movies a week or more because we had free rentals. And so I watched it on my own terms. And I was like, okay, I get it. I get why people like it so much. And then um, watching it this time, to agree with what you said, I think I like this movie more every time I see it. And watching it this time, when I sat down to watch it, I was like, all right, it's two and a half hours. That's, That's a little longer than I usually like to do for podcast episodes. And it felt like I was watching it for an hour and a half and it was over and it it flies by. So yeah. So that's my memory of the transition of how much I like the movie. So um, what do you have for stats as far as how the movie did money wise? Pulp Fiction came out on October 14th, 1994 after premiering in Cannes in May and had a budget of somewhere between eight and eight and a half million dollars, making 213.9 million in the box office. This movie was written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. As you said, this, was, this is our first Tarantino episode, which is exciting because I'm happy it's this one of all his movies. And his second film out of his proposed 10 before retiring. So despite it being his second film, Pulp Fiction, as we just mentioned, is widely regarded to be Tarantino's masterpiece. Yeah, it. Uh, so I saw that too, that the movie cost only $8 million and the, I guess the initial budget was even lower. Yeah. And then Bruce Willis was added to the cast and he had some, he, so he cost a little bit more money. So 5 million went to the pay of the actors and actresses salaries. And yeah, like you said, over $200 million did quite well. And it was one of the first movies to use the internet for advertising, which I thought was pretty cool. This is like, I haven't looked this up for this movie for this episode, but I no. thought I read a while ago that it was one of Miramax's earlier films yeah, under they, their no, name. That sounds right. Okay. That sounds right. Um, so critically v- reviewed very well. So 8.9 out of 10 on IMDb, 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, four stars from Ebert. And this is a quote from the review. It is part of the folklore that Tarantino used to work as a clerk in a video store. And the inspiration for Pulp Fiction is old movies, not real life. The movie is like an ex- the movie is Pulp Fiction is like an excursion through the lurid images that lie wound up and trapped inside all of those boxes on the blockbuster shelves. Tarantino once described the old pulp mags as cheap, disposable entertainment that you could take to work with you and roll up and stick in your back pocket. Yeah, and not be able to wait until lunch so you can start reading them again. So Ebert's a big fan, and I think I have this in my notes later, but you, it's very clear in a lot of Tarantino movies, but I think in this one more than the rest, how much of a film fan he is, which I, I, I love. So go ahead. Go ahead. So I was going to say just because I remember I was around for a while, but it was the first movie under the, after the Disney acquisition. So that happened right after. So it became the first movie after that. So just okay, so cool. that's all cleared up. Cool. So um, some stuff that was going on, you said it came out in October of 94. So normally I talk about what came out in film that month, but I wanted to take kind of a, a sidetrack a little bit and wanted to talk about the, the Oscars for that year and, and just mention some of the other movies that came out in 94. Because 94 is considered by some to be the greatest year in film. It's, it's in top five. You know, some people, I can't remember the exact years, but it's like 75, 82, 39. And then one of the more recent ones is 94. So some of the big ones that came out that year Shawshank Redemption, obviously Pulp Fiction, Forrest Gump, Usual Suspects, Leon the Professional, Lion King, Ed Wood, Speed, Dumb and Dumber, Natural Born Killers, True Lies, Ace Ventura, The Crow, 
Clerks, Clear and Present Danger, Legends of the Fall, The Santa Claus, and Reality Bites. So it what sounds weird, insane. right? So it sounds weird to go from like Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption, and then mention Ace Ventura. But really, the the kind of the way it is is that year there was films for everyone like there was you know there was comedies that people our age would rank in the top 10 comedies of all time or their favorite comedies and then there was pulp fiction shawshank redemption forrest gump which are considered some of the greatest films of all time period great action movies the lion king which is you know so just just an unreal year so i there were some other movies that came out that month but nothing that great and when i was searching for it it kept i kept seeing notes of the year of 94 and then the the oscars that year and how this didn't win and um the movies but then the movies that beat it out being like forrest gump and shawshank redemption and everything you might have i don't don't know if shawshank beat it out but you might have an opinion on which one's better but you can't be insulted like if someone says forrest gump's better than pulp fiction you might disagree with them that's fine but it's not like they're saying you know there have been some bad oscars years where something wins and you're like wait what this isn't that Man, I have a question for you, and I was going to have you, I was going to ask it later on. I still might, but the Oscar conversation you just brought up is kind of tied into my question. But I feel like it'd be a good way to end it. So I'm still going to hold on to it for a little longer. Hopefully, okay. you don't have to All say, right. hopefully, you kind of have like an idea how to respond to it. It's kind of a loaded question. So, okay. Okay. <laughs> so, outside of Hollywood, we're going to go back to just the month because we're not going to cover the whole year in news of 1994. Uh, October of 94 news, uh, NHL owners start a lockout. The NBA shortens the three-point distance to a, to 22 feet in an attempt to help, you know, increase offense. Um, uh, the New York Giants retired Lawrence Taylor's number 56. Creep was released by TLC, classic. Um, and then American tennis star Venus Williams makes her professional debut as a 14-year-old with a 6-3, 6-4 win over former NCAA champ, and world-ranked uh, Sean Stafford. So imagine being an NCAA champ and like a world-class tennis player that getting beat by a 14-year-old. I mean... Looking at now, he's probably like, right. okay. He's, like, he's probably like, thank God it was her. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, no, I, I think... I don't know. I'll have to look it up. But uh, yeah, at the time, though, you're, you're trying to tell your friends, you're like, yeah, but this girl's like, she's the next great thing. And they're like, whatever. She's still... 14 like you know what i mean there's no yeah there's no no way around that so uh what'd you have down for back of the dvd uh summary so this is actually, it's actually a pretty well put together for everything that happens uh vincent vega and jules winfield are hitmen with the penchant for philosophical discussions and this ultra hip multi-strand crime movie the storyline is interwoven with those of their boss gangster marcellus wallace his actress wife, Mia, struggling boxer, Butch Coolidge, master fixer, Winston Wolf, and a nervous pair of armed robbers, Pumpkin and Honey Bunny. So you really can't, I feel like you really can't do a whole bunch with that description. So I felt like that was pretty good. Just to give you like an idea of, you know, how many characters are in this movie that are having some spotlight. This movie is absolutely impossible to explain to someone. <laughs> they they're, there are other great movies like Shawshank Redemption. You could explain that to someone. You could be like, all right, give me 30 seconds. I'll give you a general, you know, try not to spoil anything, but you give them a, a general idea of what's going on. Saving Private Ryan. You could explain that. This movie, you're like, all right, there's, there's these like two hitmen. And then there's like, it, it's, it's just too much. It's in a good way. Yeah. It, it's, it's amazing. But I was thinking of that earlier on because I, I don't know. I wonder if my wife has seen this movie. It wouldn't surprise me if she hasn't. And sometimes I think of trying to sell her on something and I'm like, how the hell would I get her interested in this movie? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it's it'd be tough. And then you'd start watching it. So I'd be like, all right, there are these two hitmen. And then you start watching it and it would open up with like Tim Roth and she'd be like, Is that one of the hitmen? And you're like, No, no, that's that's just a person <laughs> trying to rob a yeah, it's just so much. So I will say though, from I I I didn't mention this in the first memory of it, but this is one of the earlier films that I watched that was in chronological order. That's something I always thought I stuck with me with it. And I should mention that before. Um, I love how this you, movie and like, they do a good job kind of telling you where it is in the timeline. So yeah, it's like, it's yeah. not confusing. It's out of order, but it's not confusing in that sense. 
no, it's the perfect, it's a perfect blend of you can watch it once and generally get what's going on, but you can also watch it a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth time and pick up little things. Yeah. So it's not like you have to watch it a million times to get it, but there are layers that you pick up as you watch it, you know, more and more. So um, just a breakdown of how some people are doing going into this movie. So we start with Tarantino and as a director and really in general, as a writer, everything, he just does not miss. So let's go over the films he directed. So these are just ones he directed. Reservoir Dogs, 92. Pulp Fiction, 94. Jackie Brown, 97. Kill Bill, 1 and 2. And that's in 2003 and 4. Grindhouse, in 07. Inglorious Bastards, in 09. Django Unchained, in 2012. Uh, Hateful Eight, in 2015. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, in 2019. If we were to score all of those, what do you think the lowest score would be on that? Like a, I mean, not low. It would, those are, there are more, some that you like more than others, but those are, that's a crazy that's list. And he's list. Also, right. And then he's also involved in like true romance from dust till dawn and a bunch of other things, either as a writer or an executive producer or whatever. So, so two questions for you on that. Now yeah. of all those movies, which one do you like the most? That's tough. Um, so, which ones do do I? We're talking just the ones he directed, right? Just the ones that he, well, the ones that he like wrote and directed on that list. Okay. So which ones do I? Which one? Which do one? I like if you had to most? choose, yeah, he has like his nine pretty amazing films right now. If you had to choose yeah. one of those nine, what would it be? I think, I think I would say that Pulp Fiction is his best. Yeah. But one that I like the most might be. And so I'm saying that I I am saying that Pulp Fiction is better than these two movies that I'm about to list. But I really like Reservoir Dogs and I really like Glorious Bastards. I know that's kind of like opposite ends of the spectrum for him, but um, yeah, I, I and one that I'll say that I would have to go back and rewatch it because of what I said about my how my opinion of this one has changed. But I'm I wasn't the biggest fan by Tarantino standards of the Kill Bill movies when I saw them. So I could be wrong. I could go back and rewatch them and be like, no, I was just like Pulp Fiction. I was just not ready for it. And now I am. And it's great. But that's my, that's memory. How I, how I feel about it. Yeah. I, I feel like this, I feel kind of on the same lines where I think Pulp Fiction is his best film, but I love Grindhouse. So that's probably my favorite film of his. It's just yep. bonkers. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other question now is, he said he was going to retire after 10 films. What do you think his last film is going to be? Do you think it's going to be a sequel or a whole new IP? Because he's teased a couple. He's teased a Kill Bill Volume 3. He's, I hope he's it's different. He's, there was, at one point, it's going to be a Star Trek film, a radar Star Trek film. So I hope what it's do not that, too. What do you think? Do you think it'll be like an, an original idea of his, or do you think it'll be... I would love it to go back to something like in the... Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs, Jackie Brown world, where it's like a crime world, you know, weird characters. I would like to for him to go back to that world because that's where it all started. And I think that would be a cool way to to end it. What about you? So one of the rumors was actually Reservoir Dogs being remade. And I thought that was a crazy idea, but it would be a really cool like full circle if it didn't. It was a complete fuck up. Like it'd be obviously it people be disappointed because it's not a new idea, but having him remake his first like feature and then having to be full circle with everything he's learned in the past and doing things over, I think it'd be kind of a cool way to end his career. I just think he's such a, well, he's such a weirdo that whatever I say, I, I can't, I can't even <laughs> he's say gonna make that, some crazy, he'll do some yeah. crazy shit anyways. <laughs> I can't say that that would surprise me because it would, but then I'd be like, Oh yeah, he's weird. Like he's so I just, I, I would love for him to go back to that world, like I said, of like that weird, funky crime underworld, but not have it be a straight up remake. If it was like a spinoff of one of them, yeah, I mean, look at the Mister Mister Blonde. Yeah. That was he was have a spinoff, right? Uh, at one point, but they right. got canceled. So it'd be kind of cool, like revisiting, like you said, maybe that world or those characters one more time. Yeah, that that's what I would like, but. Two, two directors, I know I've mentioned the other one before, but that I appreciated growing up. I like some of their movies, but as an adult and as I've seen a million movies and I go back and rewatch the, the classics, 
Tarantino and Spike Lee are two total weirdos who make some unbelievable movies. And the one thing I worry about with them, and but I think this is kind of their their geniuses. They do what they want. They don't give a shit what we say. But the thing that's tough is like, if you try to get your friend who's never seen Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs, especially like younger people, to watch them now, it's difficult because you have to, if you watch for Reservoir Dogs with someone and they have like their phone in their hands, you want to like slap the phone out of their hand and be like, pay attention. Like, listen to every word. This is, I wish I could go back and see this movie for the first time. So you don't ruin it. Same thing with Spike Lee. Like if you watch any of his movies, like you always do the right thing and you're like, you know, looking out the window and whatever, you're like, you're missing the whole, this is such an experience. So anyway, Tarantino, he's pretty good. So Samuel L. Jackson, I didn't know what order to go in as far as like the big cast members, because it's just a bunch of different stories. So yeah, we'll start with Samuel L. Jackson. And I don't think that he gets the credit that he deserves because his resume is insane. And we all think of him as just saying like motherfucker and that's fine. But he can freaking act, man. So comedies, action movies, dramas, just to go through some of his, some of his big ones. Coming to America, Do the Right Thing, uh, Mo Better Blues, Goodfellas, Jungle Fever, Juice, Patriot Games, Menace to Society, Jurassic Park, True Romance, Pulp Fiction, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Time to Kill, Jackie Brown, Kill Bill 2, Coach Carter, Snakes on a Plane, Black Snake Moan, Glorious Bastards as the narrator, Django Unchained, and a million more. So I think we people our age i think when he did snakes on a plane they were just like oh that's samuel L. jackson like he just yells like you get these mother effing snakes off the mother effing plane but he can act man he's he's a talented dude so that's one um two john travolta another one quite the career started on tv with welcome back cotter later in carrie uh saturday night fever grease urban cowboy pulp fiction get shorty broken arrow Phenomenon, Face Off, Civil Action, Primary Color, Swordfish, Be Cool, and more. So another weird run. And we talked about how your mom had a crush on him at one point. And it's kind of strange because he started off as like that guy. You know what I mean? And he was that for a long while, but he's taken a turn lately and he's gone through some tough stuff. His poor wife passing away and everything, but still, still an interesting career. Uma Thurman have to start with a fun fact. She originally turned down the role of Mia in Pulp Fiction, but Tarantino was so desperate to have her that he ended up reading her to the script, reading her the script over the phone and finally convinced her to take the role. Um, also from, going from Quinman, yeah. he knew he wanted yeah. her. <laughs> he, he knew he wanted her. Yeah, he knows the, who is the right fit for his movies. Yeah. And we'll talk about this in a little bit, but no missing, but no misses with this casting. There isn't one person that I could say like, oh, it would have been nice to see this person as, you know, instead. Nope. But so Uma Thurman, also in Dangerous Liaisons, Beautiful Girls, which is creepy. We have to do that sometime because we keep we keep mentioning people that were in it. And I recently rewatched it in the, the creepy vibes. We have to do that eventually. For beautiful, so, it's a Beautiful Girls? Yeah. Yep. I don't think it's that one with Natalie. Oh, it's one where it's, it's kind of, it'd be a perfect movie to do around Thanksgiving, honestly. Um, so Beautiful Girls, Truth About Cats and Dogs, Batman and Robin. Uh, Gattaca, Kill Bill 1 and 2, Be Cool, The Producers. So, Bruce Willis, Die Hard series, which started in 88 with Die Hard 1. Look Who's Talking and Look Who's Talking 2. Last Boy Scout, uh, Pulp Fiction, 12 Monkeys, Last Man Standing, Fifth Element, The Jackal, Armageddon, The Siege, The Sixth Sense, Whole Nine Yards, uh, and the sequel, Sin City, Lucky Never Slevin, 16 Blocks, The Expendables, and a million other movies. So, those are that's kind of where I cut it off as far as the big cast members, but I have to mention some. We've been doing this the past few episodes. There's been these crazy supporting casts. So, um, some other cast members, because like I said, they're huge names and everybody kills it. Harvey Keitel as the cleaner, Tim Roth as Ringo, Amanda Plummer as Yolanda, Ving Rames as Marcellus, Eric Stoltz as Lance, Rosanna Arquette as Jody, Christopher Walken, Peter Green, Steve Buscemi as the waiter dressed up as Buddy Holly. There are a million other people. If you watch this movie, you're like, hey, wait a minute. That's especially if you haven't seen it in a while. You're like, I forgot that guy was in it. I forgot that girl was in it. So um, just an unbelievable cast. What'd you have down for uh, the more, you know, random facts? I have. Uh, so I already kind of touched upon it briefly. 
Mr. Blonde, also known as Vic Vega, played by Michael Madison in Reservoir Dogs, is the brother of Vincent Vega. Quentin Tarantino even had a spinoff film in development titled Double V Vega, which was a prequel to both movies. This film was scrapped because both actors were too old to play the younger versions of themselves. Um, you talk about this one briefly. The movie cost only $8 million to make. The initial budget was reportedly even lower until Bruce, Bruce Willis was added to the cast. He even had a recent string of domestic flops, but was still a box office draw overseas. $5 million won to pay the actors and actresses' salaries. The film was already profitable when its worldwide rights were sold for $11 million, again, mainly on the strength of Willis's presence. It went on the gross, as we already talked about, $200 million in the box office. And one of the reasons why Bruce Willis took the part was because Harvey, Harvey uh, Keitel convinced him to take the part, knowing that Willis had been a fan of Reservoir Dogs. So it's kind of a cool little kind of star action there. Like having the legend Harvey give you a call and kind of persuade you. I'd be like, how do you say no to that? Right. Okay. It's like, okay, you got it. Um, Especially when you're still a young up and I know Bruce Willis had success before that, but he was still like, you know. Right. And like they said, he had a couple flops already. So it's like, you know, um, Tarantino was quoted as saying that Butch is responsible for keying Vince's car, which is a little funny kind of run on joke for a moment there and going back to what i said earlier about this being the first film after the disney acquisition that's true and it's also the first film that merrimax fully financed so that's pretty pretty big so that's what you're thinking of that's so what i was thinking of yes the the car thing i didn't have this written down so i might be butchering this but so the convertible that was actually quinn tarantino's car and it got stolen during the, the making of the movie. And again, I didn't write this down, so I could be butchering it. And so there's two things. So it got stolen in 94, 93, 94, right? And they didn't find it until I think it's, I think it was 2013 that they, they found it because some guy brought it to a shop and they like looked at the VIN and they're like, oh my God. But the, there's a, supposedly, I don't know if this is true or if it's ever been confirmed, but the whole back and forth in the movie when they say like, who would ever mess with a man's car blah 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 there's rumor that that was added in because tarantino's car had been stolen either added in or like they had taken it out and they put it back in just as a like yeah who would mess with my car because he got his car stolen really um that's a cool one that's really cool (laughs) yeah and then uh the last the last one i'll mention the word fuck is mentioned is used 275 times in this movie. So that must've been a record when it first came out. Yeah. Probably not now, but yeah. Um, that kind of leads well into the next, the next category stuff that wouldn't fly in today's environment. And the only thing I'll say about that is I think Tarantino, Tarantino does the best dialogue ever of any, any director, any screenwriter. And so he does things that there's some, there's always going to be racial stuff. There's always going to be homophobic stuff. There's always going to be whatever, but his conversations are realistic for the people that are, are using them. So if you go into this movie, if you watch this movie with your 13 year old kid, you're that's on you. And it, I, I mean, there's stuff that's definitely a little, little rough, but it fits the movie. What about you? You have anything else? You pretty much know that I wrote some conversations uh, pertaining race and sometimes the way that specifically Quinn kind of delivers some of it. It's mm. it probably wouldn't fly, but it's kind of weird because it does so because he does the same things in his newer films too. He never really changed yeah. his dialogue. So honestly, I really I like you said, race is a big thing, but <clears throat> it's something that still is really relevant in his films in the way he delivers that dialogue when it comes to race. Well, and the thing is, too, you have to think he's having either these are hitmen talking to each other or hitmen talking to drug dealers or drug dealers talking to whatever. It's like if you made them, if you clean them up too much, it wouldn't be real. You know what I mean? It's so it's kind of perfect for for who they are. Um, Yeah, I guess that that, that, yeah, that I don't really have anything else to say about that. Uh, That's all I have to say about that. Um, what you have down for your favorite scene? I had I had a few that I wanted to mention, but I do as well. Do, do you want to go first? Um, do you want me to? Yeah, you go first. You go first. So I have first off. We all, we already we keep talking about the script is easily the best part of this movie. All the dialogue flows so well, you just get lost in it. Mia's dance sequence, 
not so much the first one, but I love when she's at home going around like her her the yep. beam. I love that. I don't know what it is about it. We see going back and forth between um Vincent in the bathroom talking to himself, trying to get him like ready to leave this house. Yep. And then she's like going back and forth, dancing, having a great time before she goes, obviously. But I yep. love the whole scene leading up to that. Um Killing poor Marvin. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Like, you gotta feel bad for the poor kid. Like, he is... Uh, uh, it's just... But you know what, though? If he, if he didn't die, he would have had a lifetime of mental problems from what he had seen. Right. So, it was fast. It was fast. Yes, Marvin, yes, Marvin didn't expect it. But it sets up a whole, like, string of scenes that are just amazing after. And then, I really enjoyed Butch Marcellus tuning up for a brief moment. Two people after the entire time. And then once they're both captured together and they're with these sick, sick hillbillies, I love when you see Butch about to leave and, you know, he's going to leave Marcellus there. But then he's like, he's having sucking thoughts and he goes to help them. And then they both for a moment team up and kill off these sickos. I love that whole sequence. Well, that's that's one of the things that I, I gained from rewatching this is. So this isn't a, this isn't on my my list of. um favorite scenes but the scene with christopher walken which i remember as being like comedic relief where he's like talking about how um butch's father had this watch stored up his butt if you haven't seen the movie it sounds weird well it still sounds weird but and then he gave it to christopher walken when he when he died so that he could bring it back to to butch to his son and that's like what everyone remembers from that scene and that's that's fair because it's it's pretty crazy but Really, I think what the reason they show that is to instill that Butch has a code. Like he, he has, he's a man of his word and he has a code and, and everything like that. So I think the reason he goes back to save Marcellus when he could have just booked it is to like squash. They had, you know, Marcellus wanted to kill him because he kind of screwed him. And it was kind of like, we're cool, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're even, A, it saves his life, but also it's like debt's paid. You know what I mean? So, I think my favorite scene is the scene that starts with the small talk between Samuel L. Jackson and John Tavolta talking about burgers and the Royale with cheese. And then it switches to the, them going into the apartment, which looked like my old apartment. That was one creepy thing about it. Um, and where they, they kill the kids. And it just, it's amazing because it, it just shows how this is just everyday work to them. Like they're imagine driving to an apartment where you know you're going to kill at least one person and just smiling and laughing and talking about cheeseburgers or whatever. Um, so that was great. And then, like you said, the dialogue is what makes it. But close running up for me, um, I have two of them. So the first is uh, after Bush goes back to his apartment to get the watch. So he kills Travolta, spoiler alert, and he's like, thinks he's on top of the world. He's talking to himself about how he's a man, like he's too quick for them, he's too smart for them, blah, blah, blah. And then at the red light, he's at a red light and Marcellus, so the guy that wants him dead, is crossing the street with donuts. And it goes from like a hit and run to a shootout to or a potential shootout to the racist pawn shop owner saving Vin Rames, which is weird at first. And then it's just a crazy stretch of action and plot twists and everything like that. So and then the last one I love is the end of the film showdown between Samuel L. Jackson and Tim Roth in the diner. And the confidence of Samuel Jackson just being a badass and then talking everyone down, telling Roth to be cool, telling him to like tell his girl to relax. Um, then Travolta comes out and he's like calming Travolta down. And then he explains how he's changed. He's turned over a new leaf. He's like a new person. And then, like you said earlier, when you see the time, the time, like once you realize wh- when everything was, like how it all lines up, he went on and did whatever. And then Vincent, John Travolta, went to go get Butch and got shot and killed. You know what I mean? So it's it's a it's a cool twist. Yeah. What'd you have down for? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I do love the scene when uh, Jules is giving the guy fifteen hundred dollars, and Vincent's like, "I'm gonna kill him if you give him that money." It's like, "Are you crazy?" Right. Right. Yeah. No, th- that that character switch of like of, of Samuel L. Jackson just being like. I figured it out, man. Like Jules just, you know, kind of being a, turning a new leaf and being a new man is so cool. Yeah. So would you have any notes down for the soundtrack? I had just a few. Just a little bit. So what's different about this one is there was no film score for Pulp Fiction. Instead, the film is 
pretty much comprised of different genres of music, such as rock and roll, soul, pop, amongst others. Some of the artists involved were Al Green, Urge Overkill, with Ryan Chris going to Neil Diamond, Ricky Nelson, Cool in the Gang, and other Nelson artists from different decades. Right, so it's kind of, it's kind of, it goes from like <clears throat> 50s, you know, 70s, and so forth. Um, it truly is a wide variety of music, which is often considered one of the main highlights of this film. And the album even reached number 21 on the Billboard 200. Yeah, just like we were saying with um, the dialogue, he doesn't, he, Tarantino doesn't get, he doesn't get lazy at anything. He, he, he makes sure that the, the, from the actors to the dialogue to the soundtrack, everything is, is perfect. And, and the soundtrack's perfect for the movie. Everything fits. It's part of the movie. It's, it's unreal. So that's why I love how he knows he wants to do 10 films and that's it. 10 great films. He doesn't want any, like any bullshit in between 10 great films. Right. And that is why that makes this next question difficult. If you could change one thing, what would you change? Honestly, there's nothing I really would change in this movie. I don't think the strongest pair in this movie is Vincent and Jules. And it's recognized since they get a few parts of the film together more than the other characters. I saw a few moments where some jokes could have been scattered, like which I would have felt would have been more, which would have been in line with Quentin's humor. Like at the Butch runs off for his watch, I was thinking his wife was going to find it in the suitcase, be like, oh no, wait, come back. Um, or at the end of the movie, at the diner scene, when Jews goes to pay, he realizes he doesn't have any more money after giving it all away, only to make Vincent pay. But I thought that the dialogue was amazing and it, He's like you said, two and a half hours feels like a long movie for any other film, but for this one, it just goes by so smooth and so no easy fat. to watch. So it's yep. right. There's no fat. There's nothing. I can't think of anything I would change with this one. I agree. the The one scene that like stood out to me a little bit is just a little bit weird, and this is the most the most nitpicky thing ever. So after Mia overdoses. And Vincent decides to bring her back to the dealer, Lance. And Lance is played by Eric Stoltz, the original Marnie McFly, by the way. And he's awesome in this one. I thought he was, he yeah, was he great. Was. Um, so he wants to bring Mia there because he's nervous to bring her to an ER, given who her husband is, his line of work, et cetera, what happened to her. So Lance doesn't want that sort of thing brought to him. That's fair. That's understandable. I can see that. So they both want to keep this under wraps. But Vincent comes screeching onto Lance's front lawn, crashes into like i don't know if he crashes into the house or the garage or whatever it was yeah or something an asshole (laughs) and then they have a screaming match on the front lawn in the middle of the night trying to get the girl in the house and it's like have you ever heard of whispering wouldn't you be like help me you you know you shut up no you shut up like be quiet it just seemed a little bit weird for two guys who both wanted to keep this a secret they didn't seem like they did the, the best job but before we get into the the scoring part i have one question for you or actually, do you had a question for me? You go I first. I did. So, what do you think is in the briefcase? That was my question. For yeah, you. I knew it was, I knew it was going to be yours too. Because what you when you brought up the Oscar talk before, that's one of the theories that it's Quinn's Oscar is like a joke. <clears throat> but what do you think it is? So, I think it's so. Well, before I answer, Tarantino has come out and said that it's like pretty much up to your interpretation. It's right. a what do they call it, a MacGuffin or something? It's like something that's not really part of the. You know, it just kind of worked out. I uh, I shouldn't say what I think it is, but the theory that I like is the uh, the diamonds uh, the diamonds from Reservoir Dogs. That's my my favorite theory, just because I like to think of all of his movies being tied together in this weird like underground underworld sort of thing. Uh, but what about you? So mine's really like out there. And it's the third that I read a couple of times and I really did like it. Obviously it's one that diamonds is like a big one. A lot of people think it's diamonds, but I like the idea that Marcel sold his soul for power. So yeah, you see a, like, another one. yeah, it's like you see when they open it up, you see like this glow and everyone's like in awe. So it's obviously it's very out there, but and I like the security the code is six, six, six. Yeah. And uh, even though this has been, so Marcellus, if you notice in the whole movie, he has a he nicked like the back of his head shaving, so he has a band-aid on the on the back of his head. And there's some um, I don't remember what culture it is. I, I feel like it was an Asian culture, but I could be wrong, where there's a theory that when you I don't know if it's when you die or whatever, your soul goes out the back of your head. So that just kind of ties into it. But I guess Quentin Tarantino was like, or maybe Ving Rame said, No, I just caught myself shaving my head and I had to wear a band-aid and 
uh, Quentin Tarantino thought it was just like a cool, just for this exact reason. Like it's a cool like character thing. Like you don't have to address it. We don't have to explain it. Guy's just got a bandaid in the back of his head. And, and there's so many scenes where when he's in it, it opens with like, it's looking at the back of his head. So you do notice here, like, why does he have a bandaid on the back of his head? But it's a fun conversation. Because another thing I saw was that it was Elvis's gold suit from a uh, true romance. <laughs> yes. It was another fun theory. It'd be cool so. to see. I, I doubt he will just because like you said, it's very ambiguous and left to interpretation, but for his final film, if he revisits that case one more time, because it's such like a big conversational piece with his, with his earlier film. That. So I would love that. Me too. And he's also, before we get into scoring, he's the one person where if he says he's doing 10 movies, if he makes his 10th movie next year, there will be people that are like, I don't know, he's pretty young. He'll probably make a few more. I bet you anything he doesn't. I bet you if he, when he makes his last movie, he's done. I, I he's, think so too. He's taking a long time with this for that reason. He wants to end on a really good note. So he's not right. just screwing around. Right. So um, if you listen, listen to the podcast before, you know that this is, the point where we give our scores on, on would we mind paying a late fee to keep this movie? So a score of one is you get in, maybe you find the, the burger talk between uh, 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 Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson is like a little too much. Or you're like, why are they talking about cheeseburgers so much? And you turn it off just a few minutes in the movie, all the way up to score of five, which is I want to keep the movie a few extra days so I can watch it a few more times, pick out some stuff that I missed, show it to my friends maybe even just buy the buy it from the rental store. So low score of one is low, score of five is high. Joe, uh, this is my pick, so you're going to give your score first. What would you think? I mean, I feel like people and you already know where I'm kind of leaning towards, especially with what I would change, which is not a whole lot. This movie is two and a half hours of straight dialogue, and it all flows so well. We have an amazing script, an amazing storyline that arcs with different characters all interwoven into one story. The chronological order of it all, or not all the the uh, the lack of I guess chronological order of it really makes it a cool like spin. Where if you watch it multiple times, you get to pick out different things and see where it all fits into play in the timeline. It's really really cool and well done. The cast is amazing. Every single actor really there was not one weakling in this movie, and maybe that's what Quentin gets for getting a lot of stars at the time and having confidence in actresses like Uma Thurman, like he knew what he wanted and it all came interpretation perfectly. These characters are, they're iconic. And these scenes are still like shared with different generations. I see a dancing scene posted at least once a week as like a gif or something. I see the whole John Travolta, you know, like where am I seeing? Like I see that it's just like this scene, this, this movie has crafted so much that is shared between different generations. It's incredible. And as someone who usually likes soundtracks, I, it's really cool seeing one like, you know, I would obviously wouldn't, if there was this compulsion this way, I wouldn't be against it. But it's cool seeing a different take on Quentin's, you know, he's sure he wanted licensed music specifically, no composer. And again, it all worked out. So I love this movie. I did a lot of analyzing it when I was in college and I liked it. I, I appreciate it a lot more during that time frame watching it now again for this with notes and a notepad i was able to kind of recreate those notes i took in college and i love this movie and it is definitely one of quentin's best and i gave it a five out of five yeah i i think i have a lot of the same notes that you do so tarantino is a strange strange man but he's a genius and whenever i watch one of his movies i find myself wondering like how long did it take him to write just this one scene the dialogue in every scene is so flawless in all of his movies. There's no fat. Everything has a purpose. We've criticized other movies for introducing a character or a plot line and then not doing enough with it. And you end up being like, why was that character in the movie? Or why did that scene even happen? Or whatever. Tarantino introduces so many stories in this one and they're all with a purpose. Everything's buttoned up at the end. Everything's tied. Uh, the cast is full of all stars bringing their A plus game. I just, I love it. I love how he plays on, pays homage to other films and screenwriters and directors and actors that came before him. Every time I watch this movie, I like it more. Five out of five. It's, it's better than I, like, before I rewatched it, I was like, oh, I'm going to give it a five out of five. But it's better than that. It's, yeah, it's, it's, you know what I mean? It's yeah. better than I thought it was. 
the Sunday conversations are so like you can it feels like he was just writing this as someone just being a fan like the whole discussion in the beginning with a tv pilot and what it is mm-hmm. i love that it's like he was trying to explain to us the audience if we weren't aware of what that meant what a tv and, pilot was and like i felt like he's just writing these this dialogue down like he's talking to a friend it's yeah. so natural yeah i think a lot of the scenes are like he he's based on like oh remember the time i was in like I was at the tap with Joe and we just randomly started talking about X. I think he saves those memories and brings them into his movies. And cause the characters are also believable everything. Like when you're watching it, everything that, that Vincent says, you're like, that's so Vincent. That's so what Vincent would say. Everything that Jules says, you're like, that's, that's such a Jules thing. Like you, you, you feel like you know them. It's crazy. So anyways, Oh, and Pulp Fiction. Again, I cannot recommend a beer enough if you like sours, even if you don't. If you want to pick one to start with, pick this one. Um, follow us on Instagram, worth a late fee, worth a late fee on Instagram. Suggestions are always welcome. Just send us a message. We'll be back next week, and Pulp Fiction was my pick. So Joe's up. What are we thinking, Joe? Actually, I believe this will be our Halloween pick, right? By the time, right. By the time this all gets put out, so... Eric and I, we, it's funny because we usually pick a Halloween movie each or a holiday movie each, whatever. Um, but for whatever reason, I don't know how, how this happened because it's such an odd film. We both kind of lived on Idle Hand, which is a film that I used to love when I was younger. It was like one of those like hip, cool, naughty films that's kind of forgotten, had a really cool cast. Um, but I haven't seen it in years and it'll be fun to revisit it. Hopefully it's as cool as I remember it. Cause I, I think the same thing. I remember loving it. I still, I still, every once in a while I'll I'll go like, like, look at me, I'm Leatherface. Or like, I'll do some quote from it. And I'm, I'm so scared that I'm going to watch it and be like, oh, that was so bad. (laughs) Wasn't the offspring marketed as like, okay. I remember that being like a marketing ploy for like the offsprings in this movie. (laughs) Yep. Jessica oh, Albans. Yep. Yep. So this is, it's a risky one, but I, I thought when we were going to do Halloween movies, I thought Joe was going to pick like a classic Halloween movie <clears throat> and idle hands is going to be my, cause everyone knows I don't like scary movies generally. So I wasn't going to pick a, a like gore movie or anything like that. So idle hands is going to be like, this is my speed for, for Halloween. And then Joe mentioned it and I was like, pick that, go, go with it, Joe. So I'm excited though. It'll be fun to rewatch it. I am too. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for listening and we will talk to you next week. As always. Thank you.